Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Devon. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, joined by my co-hosts, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, Snake. buckle in. Manchester City match review or not. Uh, we'll decide what we want to get into. Uh, but Nick... We uh we have a long lost guest and friend back on the pod. Yeah, we we went digging through the Swiss snow and found uh, found one Joe Tweeds who's who's back to break down. Uh, you know what, what we're gonna do here is is a light touch on what happened against City because there's there's not a whole lot to to really break down. It was bad. It was bad all over. And uh, but I think we're gonna use Joe as more of a a litmus test for what we need to do the rest of the year to kind of get this thing turned back around and kind of hit some of these key points. So welcome back, Joe. Hey you guys. Yeah. It's, uh, I would say I would come back on slightly better terms than us getting hammered three nil, but, uh, better late than never, I suppose. Three one, Joe. Three one. Yeah. Exactly. I completely forgot that cuts and the door scored. That's, that's, that's what this season has done to me. I think I, I said to someone the other day that my only takeaway from this year has been that I'm able to forget really bad things very quickly. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. As Ted Lasso would say, Joe, you know the happiest animal in the world is? Goldfish. Goldfish. <laughs> Ten second memory, baby. We're already on to the next one. If if only it'll be that easy for us to to do this. But we'll see how it goes. Dan, uh, before we get started, three-word match review and overview. So go ahead and lead us down this this sad alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was not as much positivity, surprise, after the results, but uh, a couple actually were instructions for us. Uh, Joe hit us up with a, for you, for us as the group, the three-word instruction was to get drunk fast. Uh, I don't think we are drunk enough, which is why this is going to be more of a little bit of a mid-season check-in, litmus test, pulse diagnosis, then a match review. And then Dave hopped in with the New Year's resolution over. And it was the uh, the gift from that 70s show of pouring the liquor bottle into mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, fully in. Uh, but we did have a couple other ones. Uh, Friends of Austin Blues with the confused MI with the Yoda gif. Uh, Mr. Thurman with frankly poor today. Uh, MM7 with meritocracy is dead. Uh, Drinker with four from 18, four points out of a possible 18 over our last six matches. And then uh, Josie with Def Not Us going Mm. to a little callback to our Why Not Us question mark, which turned into Why Not question mark us period, which is now Death Not Us. So, you know, this this is how the season has continued to evolve, Brandon. (laughs) It is absolutely uh, an interesting, interesting time. Um, it's kind of been weird, actually. I think more of the pundits and things in the media are actually kind of defending us a little bit more, I think, than than kind of what our own fans are. But hey, that's what, that's what you get from fans, I suppose. Uh, look, all is not lost on me that, that things are not rosy. Uh, there's a reason I, I didn't call it a boulevard and I call it an alley, you know. Alleys are gross and dingy. Boulevards are nice and bright. Uh, I want time to pivot, question mark. You know, I, I, I'm open to uh, making some changes because I feel like where we're at isn't where we want to be. It's not really working. Uh, Nick, new year, new you. I like that you've added a resolution <laughs> into your three-word match of you. <laughs> <laughs> new year, new me. And I'm, I'm going all positive this year. We're flipping the script. Uh, now, I... Jogging toward mediocrity is me, uh, towards, 
word? Mediocrity? Yeah. Uh, not great, Bob. It, just like putting wax on a sled, it's going downhill fast. So, I actually went sledding yesterday. It was a ton of fun. Uh, Dan, over to you. Well, I it didn't take long to guess what was going to be the headlines. And like the athletic, I think, what was it? Maybe uh, 60, seconds, se- yeah. 60 seconds before the full-time <laughs> whistle had the headline out. And so I went with headlines right themselves is, you know, it's a, it's a bad run of form. It's going to inevitably lead to the questions that are going to get asked and, you know, things that we'll touch on in the episode today. But yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at where the discourse uh, and the discord has headed. And uh, we'll jump in and, and talk about a lot of, I think, meaty topics. All right, Tweeds. Last but not least. I went with running on with fumes. So I think that we're sort of at the point now where the team, uh, I think both the team and Frank look a little bit uh, empty. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, running on fumes. I think with this, what, what have we got? Two weeks until the next game? Can it come soon enough? Well, maybe, right? Uh, yeah, it's one of those well, weird <laughs> situations. Because right, the Morecambe Cup match, has that already been called off? They had tons of COVID positive tests. So I'm trying to take the positives out of that negative slash positive situation. I am completely twisted by what you just said. But I'm I assuming know. that means <laughs> common sense would say we're not playing. But look, how many cases did Man City have? And they had no problems. Chelsea with two staff getting testing positive. FAA, EPL, they just don't care, Nick. It is all about the Benjamins. And ain't no football, ain't no Benjamins. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, well, it's, it's the FA Cup for Morecambe. That's that's their Benjamins, man. They, they should yeah. want to play, right? This is a massive, you know, potentially a massive windfall for them when they smash us 5-0. So, um, <laughs> you know, it it really sucks for them. I mean, this is a, a League 2 side. that they, they should... They should get it rescheduled, but like, yeah, if they have a bunch of COVID cases, we can't play them. You can make a really strong case that we shouldn't have played City today. It doesn't mean they wouldn't have smashed us in two weeks, but like, it's just crazy to have that many positives because of the incubation period of this virus. Like, Kevin De Bruyne might have come in contact with any one of those self-isolating people and not know it for another seven days after this, right? Like, it's it's kind of wild stuff, so I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to obviously monitor and see how it goes, but uh, tweets nonetheless, fair point. So what we're going to be discussing this one is it's uh, not your average match review, not your typical run of script, you might say, but more of a conversation around the problems currently facing Chelsea with ideas and paths towards possible solutions. Obviously, we're not going to sit here and tell you we have the answers, but we can talk about some possible options and, and solutions maybe that we can do. So look, we could talk everything from problems you know, at the very, very tippity top, the Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich, all the way down to, you know, his his lieutenant. Uh, we can talk about manager, players, at whatever we want to get into, because it's all connected at some level. How and if we're able to fix said problems, and then obviously what are some realistic expectations could be inside of the back half of the season, because we are, I think, officially officially getting there. I mean, there's some people played more than others, right? But um, 16, 17, 15 matches somewhere in there. So we're, we're getting very close to that 19, uh, mark for the halfway. So anyways, huge shout outs to Luke, Akil, Jarvis, Noah, Hobbs, and Marty joining us on Patreon. Uh, make sure you get into the discord. If you don't message us, I'll get you access. Dan, you got some Apple podcast reviews for the fam. Yeah. Plenty of Apple podcast reviews that five star love that we got. Even one 
just saying they did it just for Nick, which was wonderful. Um, you know, that that's great to see that the people are rallying against Nick, trying to make sure he's not grumpy in 2021. It's the only source of joy that he's going to have in 2021 is five-star Apple podcast reviews. So you got to feed the beast there. Uh, but we have Parjop, we have YOLO Monster, we have Connor TL, and then we have POC678 all dropping some Apple podcast reviews with five stars. So if you do that, you make Nick happy. So just keep on keeping on. Help. <laughs> there it is. That was unscripted. That was just a natural gut reaction. Uh, Nick, any updates you're going to do? Uh, I, I've actually started to receive some of the merch that you've been soliciting out there, which is exciting. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for my damn Boston Blues mug. I'm just going to check for that. I'm jealous that you guys have them. Um, they just came out with another hat the other day, a nice little beanie thing. So might have to reinvest some funds. But no, we're, we're getting those shipments. I mean, obviously, the shipping with, with holidays has been a little challenging. So we'll, we'll, uh, produce updates there and we're getting closer for those interested in our own merch. We're getting closer to, uh, final designs on that front. So very excited about that. After lots of harassment, I finally got my Bayou city blues membership card. So thank you, Uh, Jesus and the team down there. Look at that. Yeah, Houston's official since 20, 2011. So all I have to do is get my backside down to King's Court Bar and Kitchen, get 15% off. So I'll work on that. Um, anyways, yeah, if you guys have more ideas on merch and stuff, send it to us. We, we want to, you know, get a bracket style thing going. It should be fun. Um, yeah, so anyways, match review. So at a glance, here it is. Is Man City in the Premier League this past Saturday, Sunday, uh, 3rd of January in the year 2021. We are officially in. 2021 i think this is our first live recording in this year am i am i right dan this is correct yes this is a factual statement are you okay i keep keep us honest is that stanford bridge chelsea one man city three pretty gross if i do say myself say so myself so i'll turn it over to the chelsea's this stand app to run through the goals. It's not going to be pleasant, but hey, you're just going to have to get your teeth and bear through it. Shout out to Chelsea Fist Stand app, the only official app from the club. Uh, they let us use these clips. So if you haven't downloaded it, go do it. Uh, support them. Um, yeah, enjoy. The Blues of London and the Blues of Manchester go head to head as Chelsea welcome Manchester City to Stamford Bridge. Brilliant from Kante to win it back. Now here's Werner, goes down. Does he make contact with the ball? The answer's no, and he's tripped him up. I think that looks like a great case for a penalty. I do too. Zinchenko up to Foden, moved on for Gundogan. Lovely turn, what a shot, what a brilliant goal. Manchester City take the lead. City again, looking dangerous again. There's Foden, it's 2-0. Far, far too easy. De Bruyne are in for Phil Foden, and City have scored twice in two minutes. Tiesch over the set piece. Let's head to it. Now there's a break on here for Sterling. Kante's the only Chelsea player anywhere near him. Sterling bearing down on Mendy's goal, and still force wide. Foden up in support and now there's two still Sterling he's hit the post De Bruyne 3-0 well, we've only played for a little more than half an hour but that may well be game over Kevin De Bruyne again for De Bruyne that's a brilliant save from Mendy just to keep it respectable it's a great save Abbott's good run from him Burner's in the middle 
So it's Hudson Adoy who can tap in a consolation. Chelsea get themselves a goal in stoppage time. And Callum Hudson Adoy had some respectability to the scoreline. It was one of the last acts of the match. A fairly comprehensive win, you'd have to say, for Manchester City. The final score here at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 1, Manchester City 3. All right. Tweeds, we could we could talk about lineups. We could talk about substitutions. We could talk about stats. We could talk about how we outpossess City. I mean, we could talk about all of it. Or we could just go to the core of the, the the conversation right now and say, where are the problems? I think there's a lot of different places we can go. Um, obviously, we haven't heard from you in a while. So Dan, Dan put a little context in here, which ribs us a bit and says back in game week 10, we were in third, two points off first place plus 12 goal difference. Feeling good about myself. How looks after game week 17, we're in eight, seven points plus an extra game behind first and second place with Liverpool and United plus 11 goal difference. So our goal difference is still holding on, but everything else is falling apart. And I know you don't TikTok, but there's this trend going on. It's like post a picture of yourself from January, post yourself a picture of yourself in December. And a lot of people slid down the hill pretty sharply with this whole <laughs> global pandemic. And uh, Chelsea aren't having a glow up, as the kids might say right now. So just from your kind of general view, how you want to maybe attack this, obviously you have a lot of different ways. What's one of the many things you've probably identified that you wish would change and soon? Oof, it's a it's a big question. Um I think probably the the place to start, I'd say I'm probably not uniquely thinking this or it's not something that, that's that's sort of unique to me, but I have to start with, with probably what's happening at Cobham in terms of training. You know, we've had an entire week to prepare virtually a week to prepare for this game. And with, you know, a full week of preparation, this is both the level of performance and the results that, you know, that we're sort of getting. You know, the, the players to me look almost at the moment kind of perpetually fatigued. Um, you know, the, the zip and the pep, pun intended, um, in our performances is, has completely and utterly disappeared. And I, I have a feeling, and this is coming from, you know, sort of anecdotal stuff around the club and journalists and whatever in terms of training practices, that the way that we prepare for games, it, it seems like the players are already exhausted by the time they get to the pitch. I, I remember seeing this first, I don't want to heart back to the Arsenal game, but we looked out on our feet after 10 minutes there. Um, and probably post-lead, you could say, you know, when we posted the record running stats and everyone was sort of all hyped up about that the energy levels in this team have completely and utterly dissipated to a point where, you know, the the way that you would characterise the Chelsea team of the early part of the season, high intensity, pressing this kind of high octane style of football, just looks like a lot of players are going through the motions at the moment. I think that's physically because I'm not sure if they have the capacity to do so. And when I kind of look at the the sort of the, the training aspect of it, I think there's a combination that, that Lampard and the coaching staff have, have not particularly kind of manage the, you could say, the workload of the players particularly well. I think, again, if you've got a week to repair and, and you look tired in in the, in the sort of the first 15, 20 minutes of the game, I mean, just to exemplify, I saw, I don't know if it was the second half or first half, might have been the might have been the second half, actually. I, I saw about 50 minutes in the game, and then Golo Kante, hands on hips, hands on knees, bending over, like completely out of breath. And I can't remember seeing him ever really look that tired that early into a game. So, if he's sort of your benchmark for fitness and, and how, how sort of well the, the team is is playing and performing and, and things of that nature, 
then I can only imagine how the rest of the team felt. And then when you sort of look at the the style of play that Lampard is trying to sort of put into into practice here, I think it requires every single player to be completely 100% fit, completely out of the races, you know, match match tempo, match fitness, to be completely in tune with things. I don't think what he's he's doing, I think the mistake that he's making is I don't think he's simplifying the game plan. I think he's still asking the players to, to press, to run, to do too much during games instead of trying to simplify it, acknowledge the fact that his team is tired. And you can see sort of certainly drop-offs. In, I, mean, I think Kante, the past couple of weeks, has looked a shadow of himself. Mason Mount has, has certainly dipped as well. And the reason I picked those two is because they're, they're kind of the, they're almost the tempo setters of the team. They're the ones who do the most pressing, the most running. That they're, they're visibly and tangibly the guys who work the hardest in the team, in my opinion. Um, and when they when they drop off, I think it's easy to see the rest of the team. So if we're looking at, so I don't know if it's if it's the biggest issue, but I have to say one of the the the, the major issues for me is, is this kind of disconnect between the the training that we're doing and how tired we are when we get to games. And then you could say the game plan that Lampard is asking the players to execute, because I just don't think it's 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 really possible for a player. If you're tired, you want to have simplified instructions. You want to maybe have a bit more underlying structure. You want to have less to to do in terms of your overall game. If you're still expected to, you know, get into the box and then sort of track back and then defend in wide areas and sort of all this kind of almost this this cross of work that the midfield guys are, are asked to do in terms of defending, you know, sort of byline to byline, box to box, and this sort of action. It's it's almost impossible, and I think you can see that in the performances of Mount and Kante, how far they've dropped off from the early part of the season. So, yeah. I think that that is, for me, one of the one of the biggest concerns, as I say, is, is the training and then the execution of those tactics. Nick, I know you love Angola Kante, and we talked about managing him this season, right? Angola Kante has played one thousand four hundred and eighty-one minutes then in the Premier League. The next highest is Timo at thirteen sixty-two. So he's played over a match more than Timo. And then I don't know if this matters, but I'll throw it out there so you guys can chew on it. Rodrigo is the highest minutes player in Man City. And he's only at 1273. And that would be our fifth highest behind Kante, Timo, Zuma, and Mason. So again, just throwing minutes out because Tweet's talked about it. Yeah, it's what I'm talking about. In terms of this whole workload management, if you are... If you are pushing the players incredibly hard during training, which, you know, if you go back to the summer, reports of Lampard's doing quite archaic two-a-days in football is not something you really do. You know, double sessions, um, focus on, on running, getting the players fit, et cetera, et cetera. During this, this pandemic, when the players have literally just stopped playing and then are expected to start playing again, very little pre-season, you know, in terms of having a break, um, players coming back at different times. I think then you, you then sort of don't really rotate the squad that much. You're not really kind of picking and choosing the best moments to play players. You're, you're asking your quote-unquote fittest players to play every minute. The, the, the workload management aspect for me is, is crazy. I mean, again, if you look at City, I felt certainly second half, their energy levels were miles more than us. There was a part where I think even De Bruyne was pressing on like the 80th minute. Um, and I, In the second half, we barely broke into, into a jog in terms of trying to run and trying to sort of create stuff. So the, the difference in energy levels is massive. I think this is a little bit where you could say Lampard's inexperienced maybe as a coach or, or the, the coaching staff in general in terms of designing like a schedule for when to play players, when to rest players, how to how to kind of take the intensity down in training, et cetera. Training shouldn't be, you shouldn't be training to a point where you're tired when you play the match. The whole point obviously is to kind of build up and then peak for the game and then kind of adjust and peak again. I think what we're seeing is this, you could call it, yeah, workload management is is probably the thing that's killing the performances at the moment because without that level of energy, I just don't think we are anywhere near the same level of team that we saw potentially against someone like Burnley. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 
There's a lot to unpack there. A, a couple of things that, you know, and then I'll pass to Dan because uh, it's it's pretty apparent, right? I love N'Golo Conte. We have to manage him better. Right? He, the, the problem with our squad when you look at cities is they are the deepest team in the league. They have two 11s and we got a mix of their first and second 11 today and they completely dominated. I mean, it was, it was ugly. Uh, it like there, there are no positives to take out of this game. If you're Chelsea, um, part of my issue is that I think Lampard's idea of football and the reality of the players that he has are at odds with each other. And if, if you know, Joe, um, that, you know, if, if you know that your players are not up for the pressing, if you know that your players are not up for the high possession type of game, then you, the manager, have to adjust your sales yeah, to meet that, right? Like, and, and I know some of the best managers in the world and people are going to always compare Lampard to Klopp because of kind of similar profile. They're both relatively young managers and they have a kind of dynamic style of play, all that kind of stuff. But like Klopp, Klopp stuck to his guns and, and in some ways got lucky that they brought in the players that he needed to, to do his style because those first couple of seasons were a little weird. Uh, Lampard doesn't have the players that he needs to press constantly. Um, you know, Dave is not going to be able to do that consistently. Kovacic is not going to be able to do that consistently. They're not healthy enough. Uh, you know, like you, you kind of look down the, down the line, uh, Dan, to me, this is a, are you utilizing the, the ingredients in your cupboard to make the best dish or are you using expired ingredients in some ways or not, you know, maybe the freshest ingredients to, to make the dish that you have. And it, to me, like that's a manager kind of first thing. Well, it's we're trying to be a fusion restaurant right now, mm. and most fusion restaurants are garbage. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, you you want to specialize, right? You want to specialize in a type of cuisine, and and it's not to say that you can't have like a great like Tex-Mex solution where you do bring together you know this amalgamation of ideas to create something uh, truly magnificent. But what can happen? is you can say, hey, based upon the performances, based upon what we need to do or how we could go out and win, this idea of trying to press for press players versus to pressing passing lanes, which is you know the thing that we kind of did under Sari versus trying to do now under Lampard, the idea of trying to go out and play with a high intensity isn't necessarily what is going to, you know, and spamming crosses into the box for, for Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic just doesn't make sense from a, when you watch it back and you kind of take a you know, moment to dive into it. What could work is something where you played a little bit more compact, where you tried to win back the ball, where you tried to spring players on the counter. You know, you have some of the fastest players in, in the Premier League in, in this side in Christian Pulisic and Timo Werner who want to be played into space, who want to get a, a two-on-one or a one-on-one situation, and we're not creating that space for them. So instead, we're trying to merge Frank's idea of what they did, did so well at Derby, which is per pushing fullbacks forward, and we're trying to replicate now with two wonderful fullbacks in Ben Chilwell and Reese James. But the front attacking core does not support what we're trying to do. 
Brandon. Like that, I, I think that's that's the that's the I think the point that I heard from Nick, and I would find agreement you, with is that you don't have yeah. to press. You you don't have to press. You can sit back. There's no shame in that. That's what Manchester United does. That, you think Manchester United's a forward front? Uh, no, they're not. Like there's this obsession with pressing because it looks good, right? It, it and it and it sometimes can play to an advantage. But like Liverpool can do what Liverpool do because they've done what they've done that kind of a thing for five years now. Chelsea do not have the horses to run that race right now in that same exact way. And I feel like there are times where there's an obsession with that because it is sexy to watch and it is fun to watch. But like Chelsea's some of Chelsea's best ever teams have been counterattacking strong steel backline type of teams that, you know, were just no you didn't mess with them. You know, they're, they're just a bunch of fighters. Like it was great. Look, you can have a lot of bit, a lot of different styles and be sequel, right? If you do want to press, the idea is that a, you don't give the opposition chance to really leave their half. So the idea is you keep the ball in their half, away from your half, just as much as possible. Um, so it can be sexy, it can be functional. You're right. Like I think of, you know, Mason and Conte. I'm like, yeah, we can press, and you're like, well, Kovacic, Jorginho, Kai, even like they're not going to press. Um, I mean, Liverpool downgraded their midfield and skill just so they would be industrial to support that system. You know, like he made tactical sacrifices for it. I think that's what kind of gets to me, Tweeds, as we look at some of the stuff, you know, from Lamps is, is I think, I think it was Naz who said it too, just was a little worried that like Lampard tends to just change his tune. The second something doesn't work, he he's, he's off it. He's onto something different. And I think, what a lot of people are concerned about, and a lot of conversation we've had in our Discord is what's Frank's style? Because a formation isn't a style, which has been rightfully addressed yeah. again in said Discord server multiple times. You know, and we were talking a little bit on WhatsApp and and thinking about this is you know Chelsea right now are a little are very fluid. Um, I don't think we're very resolute resolute in kind of our ways you hear commentators pundits say frank still doesn't know his best 11 well to be fair like whoever's available changes every single week so i think that there's a lack of consistency but one thing i think to like man city today you know let i were going into this match and they were going to have like at least five people out right so i'll talk about ederson and stefan because that's my area of not expertise but knowledge they go and bring in Stefan. So Stefan is a U.S. men's national goalkeeper. He's a bang average shot stopper, but he's great with his feet. He's, I don't know, maybe he's like your Jordan Pickford, you know, thing. He yeah. fit the style of the manager. Burhalter wants to play this like inverted left back bullshit, whatever. Anyways, Zach Stefan fits the mold of Ederson much better than Claudio Bravo. Obviously, Claudio has his own issues and things like that. Even a Joe Hart who they offloaded. The thing is, Zach Steffen will come in and play the exact same way to his abilities as Ederson. When we bring in players off the bench, and, oh, and then, you know, at the end, they're bringing on Mares. You know what he's going to do. He's going to play like a winger. He's going to run up and down the wing. When Chelsea makes subs, it completely changes the team. So what have we ever been doing up to that 60, 65, 70th minute? He's now bringing on subs to change the way we're playing, and now players have to adjust on the fly. To me, 
I, you know, and I, again, I'm not saying that the Marizio Sari one for one, like for like, everyone has a role. Like Jose Mourinho, and you need to bring on subs to make changes. But just in general, on a week to week basis, we see Mason in one role, Kai in another role, Jorginho in this role, Kova in another role, Timo in a role. I, there's, there's, and I don't know if you really put a lot of blame on Frank or the circumstances or the players. It just seems very fluid. And I think I would struggle as a player kind of knowing what the hell. I was supposed to do every single week or how I can do best in that role because it's, it's always different. They, they look confused. Yeah. Like they look confused, which is, you know, as Joe was talking about training, like we, before we even get to what happened in the match and why that's a bad thing, like they, they just look like the training didn't take. And then you talk about mentality, like there has, there has to be an analysis of the mentality in, uh, on the team. Like yeah. they're, they're, that's a whole other thing to talk about. And I, I'm not going to pretend to know what the hell is going on there, but clearly something is not right. Right. I, I mean, Joe, is any of that making sense? Yeah. I think, you know, anyone who has spoken to me or knows me knows that I have like a bit of a penchant for sort of physical, like tough, tough, tough players. It's sort of what I've grown up with, even from the nineties, you know, you guys selected- like Dennis Wise. You selected Andy Myers in our player's decade Because he's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My all-time draft. I could have picked, I think I had Graham so Andy Myers, but I chose Andy Myers because he once knocked Roy Keane unconscious in the tunnel because Roy Keane said something that Andy Myers didn't like. That that That's the background that I come from. So he's <laughs> uh, nails FC. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to go sort of, you know, teams gone by and look at all the Chelsea team, great teams we've had. But one of the characteristics that makes Chelsea, Chelsea, in my opinion, like a quality of Chelsea-ness, has been that we have had physical and we have had tough players who I don't think opponents really have liked playing against in the past. Even You can even go back to maybe, maybe Diego Costa was the last player that we had that had that mentality where people, like centre-halves are right, he was a lunatic, but they really didn't enjoy playing against him because he was nasty. You know, he would scratch people. We know that he stamps on people. He's a little bit of a loose cannon, but having someone like that in your team completely alters the perception of your entire football team. And I look at the squad now and, you know, it's, it's to me, there's nothing there in terms of that edge that you would want in midfield, in defense, even sort of as a, as a, you know, a center forward, that's a bit physical. There's, there's no physical edge. And I think that translates to the mentality that Nick's talking about as well. You know, we don't really have, let's say that many players who are experienced in winning. Yes. You know, Jerry's and Kante won world cups, et cetera. But you look throughout the squad, how many league titles are there? How many Champions League titles do we have? You know, in terms of sort of the building a mentality, you know, sometimes you have to win a trophy to get there, but also you can buy experience in. We see teams do it all the time. You know, you bring in sort of guys who have won and they kind of in- introduce that mentality into the team. But I look at the squad and the more that I see it, you know, there is there's a complete lack of physicality. There's a complete lack of toughness. I don't think that there is anyone in that team that I think anyone is particularly scared of playing against. It's not even like when you have Hazard where you're terrified because he's going to just destroy you because he's such a good player. There's no fear factor with Chelsea these days. And it kind of pains me because that's always been the thing that I think I've prided the Chelsea sides on. If you think back to all our title winning teams, we've all had, there's always been a little bit of a fear factor in terms of what we've had. Costa, Hazard recently, you know, you go back to McAuley, Essien, Balak, Lamb. I mean, you, you don't even have to talk about those players to think of the fear factor that teams would have. But I look at the team now and I just think it's soft. You know, I think that we're a pushover in pretty much every area of the pitch. Um, and I think that shows in the mentality. As soon as we went 1-0 down today, 
I just, I was resigned to the fact that we were going to get beat. I saw people's heads drop. I saw people's shoulders drop. You could see the body language on the TV. And it's, it's not really something that I think that we're, we're kind of used to as Chelsea fans is, is giving up that easily in, in a game. And I think that, that that is sort of permeating throughout the side at the moment. And I'm not sure how you address it without really having a drastic shakeup, trying to go maybe trying to grab someone who has that kind of little bit of an edge that we, that we lack. But I think it's a really solid point because the lack of edge, and I think the lack of mentality, I think they're very intertwined. And one of the reasons why we're so soft and don't quite have the, 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 the kind of the, the fear factor, the edge that we've had in, in previous seasons. I will say, actually, I would take it back even before that, Joe. And it was when Timo didn't get the penalty call. Actually, I think is when you saw the mentality come out when there was no anger or aggression yeah. or display. When, when being, do we crowd a referee these days? When do yeah, we ever we, chase a referee? I know people we, say it's a bad thing, but that, that was one of the things that, that made us great was we would have seven players surround the ref because they wanted to win that badly. It, fe- it feels like we're politicians trying to win a, a likability contest uh, at yeah. times on the pitch rather than trying to go out and, and take a game by the scruff and say, you know what, like that, that's not, not cool. Like I, I want to see someone, when's the last time someone on our side got a card for dissent? For going up and yeah. saying, like, to just being, you know, kind of, you know, lungs full, chest out, and just kind of getting in somebody else's face. You know, yeah. I just, I, I'm really concerned that with, with that type of, you know, fight and drive, you're really missing from the side. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, you go through the, the spine of the team. Zuma is a physical player, but his middle name is Happy. <laughs> He's he, but Zuma, Zuma comes across as a very pleasant kind of guy. N'Golo Kante, very pleasant kind of person. The front three, you know, all could be on like a Wheaties box. They're all very pleasant guys, all very nice guys. I think you're, you're completely right. There's, there's no, you know, and it's not, it's not about making it about passion and desire and stuff like that, but those are characteristics that really matter in sports. It doesn't matter what sport you're playing. They separate really good players from really, really top players and they can make average players pretty good players. Look at Jordan Henderson. By no means is he a particularly, you know, he's not a particularly great footballer, but he has so much character and backbone that he drives that Liverpool team forward by being probably the worst footballer in their eleven, but also probably one of the most important because he's, he has so much sort of desire and, and passion to win. I think it's often an overlooked quality. And when we've brought in players recently, you know, I don't really see that as being a characteristic that we're looking for. I'm not suggesting that we go out and buy... Um, I don't know, like Andy Carroll and like seven other sort of massive sort of tank players who are just there to sort of beat people up. But it's it's something that, yeah, I think I think we've been lacking that. I just call it edge. We've been lacking that that edge for, for a little while. And it does matter when you're in tough moments and tough games. You know, you could always look behind and see JT or see Lampard or see one of these players, Drogba, Ashiko, whoever. Like it meant something to them. Like it, it hurt them to lose. Um, now, after the game, you see... Ben Chirwell smiling and like, you know, everyone going up to Kevin De Bruyne and having like a happy time. It's like, you've just been beaten 3-0 at home by a team that have completely outclassed you with five starters missing or five, you know, five guys and, and you're all sort of happy after the game. There is, there is for me a little bit of a mental deficiency that we have to have to look at. And as I say, I mean, the, the only way you can rectify it really for me is, is trying to target players potentially in, I'm not sure if it's January or, or even in the summer, that have a little bit of that, that sort of edge and that spice about them because, we are, I think we are too, as a football team, we have become a little bit too nice. All right. Well, I think I have a lot more to talk about. Um, we haven't even touched any players at this point, so we can kind of call it the Frankie, Frankie Lampard show, but we're going to take a quick break. When we get back a uh, ton more to talk about um, because 
uh, that is not the short list of our problems. We still have yet we can discuss. So anyways, thanks to sponsors <laughs> for financially supporting the show. Be, uh, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I just want to tell you a little bit about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everybody the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast but don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get this all for only $15 a month. That is the exact same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So you're getting a pretty good value here. Whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description uh, in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com forward slash join. Um. Joe, I think a part of that, right, is the recruitment of players and their profile is part of it, right? We know that an edge is something. I would say Christian Pulisic has an edge. He's a winning mentality, but he's not vocal. He's not really going to kick the shit out of someone. Um, I think that people like Akim Ziyech's leadership edge of holding a high standard, but I call him a luxury player because defensively and on set pieces, he doesn't really offer you much. And that's okay, right? But then you get into like a balance of the team and, and kind of let a man, will a manager kind of teach them to be a little bit harder? And that's where I get interested in Lampard. Is he being ruthless enough in the sense of it used to be a very clean cut meritocracy? And maybe that was last year because he had to play who he had. Um, they were all kind of just given, you know, they were just on the squad. Whereas this year they've spent obviously a lot of money with big money. Is he letting that get in the way of his judgment? Do you think this season, it just, it just feels like the meritocracy isn't as strong this season as it was last season. Last season, he'd chop and change anyone. Didn't even care. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think certainly I I, I don't want to get into a huge sort of piece on Timo Werner because I think he's been, he's been pretty abject for a while now, but when you have someone like maybe Hudson Otoy, who I think has been pretty decent of late, can't get a start, comes on today. I think he looked okay, obviously scores the goal. I think you have to start questioning the, the meritocratic attitude in terms of team selections. And something I've been pondering for, for a bit is, you know, this, I'm not saying that we are at this extreme at the moment, but there are some parallels there to Mourinho's 2016 season, where he was sort of picking his favourites. You know, his guys were getting played every week. I remember watching, you know, I think Matic and Fabregas were playing and putting some of the worst single midfield performances I've ever seen. And then we had a fresh-faced Ruben Loftus-Cheek at the time who had played pretty well in cameos and people were asking to get some game time. Um, it feels a little bit similar to, to me in some respects to that, where you have this sort of core group of players. And I know that the Athletic are alluding to there's a little bit of uh, dissension in the ranks with players about not being as involved, etc. I think it carries through to the stats you were saying earlier about you know players being involved and playing. I think you'll probably find there's a very high concentration of Chelsea players playing a lot more minutes than others compared to compared to other squads in the Premier League. Um, but I don't think it has particularly been a meritocracy. And even when you look at someone like uh, Giroud and, and, and Tammy, I think they've, they've both been scoring fairly regularly this season. 
I think there's a stat that Chelsea youth likes that we basically don't win without Tam Abraham, which is maybe a little bit of a, a coincidence. But, you know, this is a guy who I think we, we tend to play a little bit better with when he's up front, same with Giroud. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily something that, that we're seeing. And I think it becomes a problem when, you know, you have almost, I think, a desire from Lampard because he has he now has his signings this season. So uh, Werner and Havertz, for example, um, and even Ziyech, I think today Ziyech probably maybe rushed into the starting eleven a little bit. I think he looks way off the pace, but I think there is a, a push now that Lampard has quote unquote his guys um, to to actually play those over maybe people that deserve deserve the opportunities. Um, and then you're looking at even even other things where we've we've played players out of position um, over other players again who who maybe potentially deserve to play. Um, you know the, the picking of. I think Andreas Christensen over Tomori, I think at this point, we probably come to the conclusion that Tomori probably is out of the door in January, given the the, the continuing sort of, uh, you know, appearance as the fifth centre-back. But I'm not sure really kind of what changed with Lampard in that respect. Because I do, I do agree, I think last season, like if you were playing well, you were going to play. And and, and now I think we're seeing this season, I, d- I don't want to call them excuses, but they're kind of these sort of subtle intricacies that we can't see. Like we don't know how players train. We don't know their attitude. We don't talk to them. And I think you're seeing more of those kind of empty sort yeah. of uh, points being made by Lampard. You know, well, Hudson Odoi has to train better, or Tomori's not training well, or someone has to show more in training, etc. Um, and it, I don't know. It, it's got to the point where I think some of the some of the starting decisions have been a bit a little bit questionable. I know that I've I've made the point before that I don't think at the moment that Timo Werner and Pulisic can play on the same side. Um, I think at the moment that he's he's very much trying to pigeonhole them in, and I think you have to pick one or the other for the time being. For the, for the good of the squad. But yeah, as you say, that, yeah. that meritocratic stance potentially that was there last season, you know, I think it, it's it's come in. I think, you know, Notorious BIG said it best when, oh, sorry, Mason P. Diddy, when he said more money, more problems. You know, I think that that's that's what Lampard is seeing this season. You know, he's been able to go out and he's been able to spend where maybe those those signings haven't hit the ground running or haven't really lived up to the expectations of what we would expect for, for loads of reasons. I'm not digging the players up for any reason, but because of that, that sort of case, I think he's maybe second-guessing the team selections, trying to sort of force players into form. I think, again, you know, when you're a young manager, you're inexperienced, you're managing during a completely unprecedented time, I think you need a little bit more experience to fall back on in terms of what to do in terms of team selections and, and how to manage the, the squad correctly. But yeah, I'm not this, seeing that same meritocracy as, as last season. Let, let me piggyback on that, Joe, because I think you made a, a lot of good points there um, in, in that soliloquy. I think the... The issue that Frank was always going to have is you, know, you can kind of predict these scenarios a little bit, right? You bring in this star talent. We had a number of pods over the summer talking about how excited we were. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I always call out Dan here because it just it hasn't worked yet. But Dan Dan had the uh, opinion that, you know, you, you buy the talent, you figure out a way to make it work. Right. As long as the talent's there, it's a good thing. Um, it was always going to happen that the, you know, just because of the way the world works that like you bring in this talent and it, it may not work right away. It may, it may take some time. And like, you know, the, I think we've exercised a, a fair amount of patience on, on some of this stuff to, to just be fair to ourselves. But if Callum hudson Adoy is playing better than Timo Werner and they're both kind of the right sided player, given the lack of depth or ZH injury or whatever, and Callum's not getting a, sh- a shot, then there's an issue there. Like, yeah. And and it's not to say that Timo's not going to come around. It's not to say that you can't play him into form or whatever, but it's clearly not working. We don't see training, but we see matches. Like, yeah. 
that that part, Dan, to me is like kind of cut and dry. Well, it's it's the thing that's troubling with the whole like Tammy or Drew situation, right? Tammy and Drew are scoring goals when they play. Yep. Timo Werner is not. And as much as I think we're, we're all excited uh, to see him play, um, you know, that that is something where he is not kind of found the back of the net for quite some time. And those other two have done with some some regularity this season. So why but would Timo's you... not playing over either of them, to be fair? You're you comparing. OK, one game. But in this drought, you're comparing a left or right winger to a striker. Timo's well, not but... cutting into their minutes. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, what I would say is if I, after the Arsenal match, if I'm Frank Lampard and I'm trying to make the case for meritocracy, Timo Werner is not starting the match. Um, Calum Hudson-Doy is starting the match. Tammy Abraham is most likely starting the match. And, you know, we don't have most likely a senior team match next weekend. So you can play every player that is, you know, top on the team. You know, I, I Kovacic had a pretty poor game against Arsenal. I don't understand why he started. And, and so there's a lot of questions to me about I, I don't think you can make a meritocracy argument anymore is I think that the big thing that we should just kind of say moving forward based upon the selections that we've seen. Well, and, and it matters too, right, Brandon, because to me, if you're Callum and you're, you're only getting 20 minutes to make an impact and you still score a goal in a really terrible match and have an assist the previous week yeah, and whatever, you don't yeah. start the next game, it's like, what more can you do? Right. Like I, I, that would be the frustrating part if I were in Callum's shoes, but he probably has a better mentality than I do. So, <laughs> oh, I think, <laughs> I think the frustration is probably the lack of consistency that the meritocracy has been applied. And maybe you guys agree with this. Maybe you don't. Reese James over Aspie seemed like a meritocracy, right? Ben Chilwell over any of the other left backs is a meritocracy. Kurt Zuma, Tiago Silva playing meritocracy. They have earned it. Like week Mendy. in, week out. There's, yep. Yeah, Mendy's a layup. So, alley-oop, Nick, here you go. <laughs> Dunk. Uh, midfield gets tricky, obviously, because they're, they're just very inconsistent. But Mason's in because he does a shift whatever he needs to. Dan, you're right. Now is where the meritocracy seems to end, is after the defense and Mason. Because N'Golo Conte has been miserable for a couple matches. I bet he's just freaking tired. We need to manage his his minutes. Kova, Jorginho, either they have bad direction, they don't know what they need to do, or they're just being poor right now. They're not offering much. Kai Averts isn't offering much, unfortunately. So I could understand why Frank's trying to rotate them. Okay. Yeah, up to today. I think it's it's been widely agreed upon that he's been struggling. You know, so I'm saying I can understand while Frank rotates that third midfielder. But when it comes to attack, this is where you probably see the Drew sniggling. You kind of see the... The Timo Werner needs a break. Nope, we're just going to let him run into the wall over and over in a position that's not his favorite, partially due to injury. He has put Pulisic in and left him in, and I think he's earned every single minute of that. If you think I'm biased, go ahead, tell me. We can have a discussion. But then the big one is Callum hudson Adoy. I put it in the Discord today, too. I was pleasantly surprised at how positive he has been when he comes on. And to your guys' point, like, I look, I can understand if you have a chance to play Akim Ziyech, you definitely want to play him to see where he's at. It just wasn't a good day. So again, meritocracy is not being applied consistently, which is where there can be issues. And I think Tweeds, you talked about this a little bit that there might be some players upset with Lampard's management of the squad. If I'm a player, I just want to know what's expected of me so that I can go and work my hardest off to achieve that so I can hopefully earn time to play. 
tweets. What yeah. it sounds like is happening is it <laughs> players don't feel like they know what they need to do or they're doing it and still not getting a chance, which is now led to the athletic article to different things saying, Hey, Frank's seat is hot right now. Like there's, you decide how deep you want to believe the speculation on some of the stuff. Some of the quotes will say, Hey, we're just speculating. Other of them are a little more blatant, but kind of in your opinion, do you think Frank Lampard's seat should be hot right now? Is it justified that the club are potentially looking at, at other options? I just want to keep it like is singularly focused yeah. on that. I'm kind of like, is it fair for him to potentially have to be worrying about his job right now? I go back to when Frank Lampard came to Chelsea. I think he was, pretty open in terms of I think specifically asking us to judge him on his you know on his ability as a manager here and it is incredibly difficult to separate the perception of Frank Lampard as a player as a Chelsea great from the Chelsea manager because he largely got the job based on the fact that he is Frank Lampard very unlikely that if if Frank Lampard does go that we will go looking for a manager in the championship who has one season of experience to come and manage the club and I think with, with that being said that I think if you're judging him as a manager and I think when you start looking, you have to look beyond the results as well. You have to look at the performances. I think you have to look at the absence, I think, of, of coaching in some respects, the absence of structure that this side has, how reliant I think the team is on the best players being available and being fully fit. I think, for example, the, the, the one thing that I think to sort of round this off and then to sort of give a bit more of a direct answer is when you look at how the team plays, there is no way that Cesar Azpilicueta can play like Reese James. But I think the, the tactical instruction is almost like Reese James, go and play like Reese James. There's no, there's no real instructions for the right back to have a generic skill set. It's the right back plays like Reese James, the DM plays like Kante when he's fully fit. Jorginho can't do the Kante role, for example. So I think that the when you really look at the nuances, you look at the tactical instructions or lack thereof, you look at the lack of structure in the team, you look at the way things are transitioning, um, particularly with other teams looking as if they have a little bit more structure, they're heading in a slightly more positive direction. I think it is fair to say to say that Lampard is is on the hot seat, and that that is the unfortunate reality at Chelsea Football Club. Is that you know, regardless of of I think all of us would want him to to succeed, and we would want him to be a long term solution here. That the club has ambitions, and the club has uh, you know benchmarks or or you know, has standards, which at the moment, I think Lampard is probably falling below. And you could look at, you know, not so much just the performances, but I think the results um, over the past month or so probably dictate that he will be on the hot seat. And again, if you were to to try somehow to separate Frank Lampard, the manager, from from the player, the manager at the moment, I think is, you know, if, if his name was Tom Smith, I think Tom Smith would be very much in looking over his shoulder this evening. Um now, Lampard does have the benefit of being Frank Lampard, which, you know, it's not something that we should really try to separate too much. Um, I think that there is a growing, I think there's certainly a growing sphere of, of, of thought that, that Lampard probably is, is looking a little bit over his shoulder because I just think the performances haven't been there. And this is a performance-based business. And the thing is, as well, when you look at the, potentially the, the type of coach that this young group of players need, particularly when we're talking about the lack of overall character and spine and, and sort of that, that profile of the player, maybe they need a more, a more experienced hand to mould them into something rather than someone who's a little bit more inexperienced. And I'm sure that, that sort of train of thought is potentially gripping the, the club as well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to be careful though, right? Like age is no, you know, guarantee of experience and, you know, youth is no guarantee of, of, of innovation, right? Like there's, there, there can be multiple things that are true at the same time, but, yeah, precisely, yeah. but there, there is a, 
you know, like it, in a world where we, we look at the development or even just the performances, and I think this is something that Brandon, you want to hit on, like you can judge some of these things on their merits, you know, pretty easily. You don't have to be so abstract in the way that you think about this stuff. Like today, today's performance was a three out of 10. <laughs> you know, it just was. It, it was a lackadaisical, half-assed, jogging type of performance. And you don't have to take my word for that. You can go watch it again yourself and see how many players were going full out. Like Robbie Earl on the post-game coverage over here was talking about like, you know, simple things that should be happening. Like when you go down one nil, what is your default, you know, mechanism to switch it back and try and get back level. Right. I don't see that from this team personally. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's just, I don't see it as a, as a fan. So Brandon, when I, when I look at little things like that, like channeling, I think one of the questions that you had is like, are, are there areas where we're getting better or is there just a consistent slide in, in almost every aspect? Yeah. Well, what real quick before I can jump in, do you feel like it's justified for Frank's seat to be hot at the moment and potentially the club looking at alternatives? I mean, no, personally, no. Like this is a guy who was like given about the most difficult hand that you can be dealt as a manager starting out, uh, both with no signings and, you know, in, in his first season, bring through a bunch of youth overachieving and then COVID hitting. Uh, that's a, that's a hell of a, a, a hand to be dealt. But like, if you're, if you're seriously looking at Chelsea as like an eighth place team, that's a, that's a rough place to be. Even my most negative sixth place last year is being mocked um, right now. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I look at this in a hopeful way, kind of, because like I, I, love Frank Lampard. I want him to be the manager at Chelsea football club. I, tr I believe that he is smart enough to get over this blip in, in performance. But the question is, will it be fast enough? Yeah. The, the crazy thing with this table though, is like, you know, a couple wins, as long as, you know, some results go your way, you're back in the top four almost instantly. It's, it's the weirdest season ever. Um, where I get concerned is that you can kind of take Ole, Frank, and Arteta, and kind of almost judge them on a similar path. Except you'd say Chelsea have the best squad of the three of them. By and, by some distance, I think. So the problem is Ole has massive expectations on him, as does Arteta. He was supposed to take over and bring them back into the top four. Pep Guardiola is understudy. Ole didn't matter if it was him or someone else. His job is to get Manchester United to become the most successful club in England as, you know, they believe they have the right to be. And right now as the table stands, United are in second on 33 points, Chelsea are in eighth on 26 points, and Arsenal are in 11th on 23 points. So my concern is that Ole is getting a tune out of his team, even with, Dan, I think about the Pogba drama. We haven't even had to deal with that stuff yet. Super agents. I mean, they just got over the line in Europe, even though Pogba's agent came out the day before said he gone. And then you can't even put him in your squad. That's where I get concerned. If you try to compare apples to apples um, in the league, is it, do I, I, I do I want to see patience? I mean, kind of, right? Like, of course, I, I have this. I want to see Frank Lampard be successful. But some people are trying to say, well, look, you've got Lampard as a manager and Lampard as a player. Can we separate those two out and judge them accordingly? And I think that's where it gets really tough. 
Well, I think the the thing people need to maybe do is take a step backwards, or this is what I've done. Like, I don't, I don't say it's not about Lampard being in or Lampard being out, right? Like, you don't have to be on not one the side. hokey pokey. You, no, you can you can sit on the fence in between the two and have opinion on saying, hey, based upon the performances, based upon what's going on, here are my concerns. If we continue going with Lampard, right? If we uh, continue going forward with Lampard in the moment, he can't motivate the squad. We run through the end of the season. We don't qualify uh, in a top four spot. We don't win a cup competition. You know, we've, we set ourselves back, um, you know, in terms of what our plan is supposed to be, right? And so, like, that's a question. Um, if we go out and fire Frank Lampard and go get someone, there's also no guarantee that whomever we bring in is going to be able to help us get to where we need to be in terms of uh, what the expectation will be. Whether that expectation is qualifying for a top four spot, whether that's to win one of the cup competitions that we are still in right now, when we are in the round of 16 uh, with the Champions League and crazier things have happened for Chelsea Football Club. Uh, we are in the FA Cup as well uh, until we get knocked out this uh, this upcoming weekend, I'm sure of it. Um, so, I mean, th- those are the things. It, I, it, it's fair for the club. You know, the club is a business. The club is looking out for the interests of all Chelsea Football Club to think about risk mitigation and like going out and assessing who is available, whether that's that's Tuchel, whether that's, uh, you know, any of the other kind of names that we've seen out there. That was a short list. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hence, Hence January being a tough time to replace a manager. Right. It's a tough time. You know, you also are saying that that person has to come in. baby. Hitting season. He's back. But they they have to establish a a culture and a framework and then run a a full season game plan in, you know, essentially 20 to 25 matches, right? That they'll have an opportunity to perform in. Now, you could argue that this season is still so tight that you want to potentially miss out on the opportunity of going for it. And I think to me, what will be pivotal is the rest of the games in this month. You know, we talked about in our December and review podcast, which you haven't listened to. You can go back to like my my thing was we should get 11 out of the 15 points remaining for this month. If we do that, I think Frank Lampard absolutely should be the manager we go forward with. If he doesn't perform, though, through January, I think the board it would be within their right to ask the question. And, and if they don't see the improvements, that will be the real big thing. Like, what is the, pre- the plan that Frank will put forward? to say this is the improvement we'll get from the players and the results. And just uh, for those of you keeping score at home, uh, per Dan's 11 out of 15, that means we have to win out because, well, it's math. So we got to get 12 out of 15. Um, I, I Another thing to think about is probably the expectations were set when the transfer window was going down and we were buying up big players, we got all excited, right? Because none of our competitors could really spend the way we were spending. So we also looked at this is an opportunity to catch up maybe even two seasons worth of progress on our rivals. And it just seems to be slipping. But again, I can't underestimate enough how COVID is affecting the season, travel, players, concerns, just things in general. Like what players and managers have come to know as a way to operate is all thrown out the window. Um, Their ability to for Frank to put his arm around a player and talk to him for them to have their Christmas due. There's just a lot of things that are preventing the normal team chemistry and emotions and relationships to happen. Aren't there. Uh, and that's something that I just big into. 
Uh, tweets. I'm going to give you a bit of a swang song here before we kind of wrap with a couple of player questions, but uh, at Chelsea tweet underscore UG says Lampard truly developed any player. And I don't know. I struggle with this question because in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't know how much development he does, or does he give a player like Reese and Mason and Tammy the opportunities to go be successful? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it depends how you unpack the definition of development there. I mean, you could go back to when they were like eight when they're in the academy and they've been sort of developed as players since then. But I think the way that I would look at it is that he has given them the opportunity. And I think that potentially for me is, is kind of Frank Lampard's key sort of strength for the moment is that he has, I think, finally put the, the academy at Chelsea on an equal footing with the rest of the, the first team squad. And you know, you look at guys like Reese and, and Mason and Tammy, etc. A lot of these guys, even, you know, last season, I've seen a lot of people saying that Reese James wasn't a very good player. You know, his first season in the Premier League, people quite like writing off young Chelsea players. For some reason, it seems to be sort of something that certain parts of Chelsea Twitter like doing. Um, but without the opportunity, without the faith, without the the constant selection, playing them through purple or playing them through rough patches, playing them through their growing pains, they don't develop and they don't they don't become the player they are at the moment. I think Reese James probably embodies that more than anyone because I think last season, I don't think he was he was outstanding, but I think he was he was certainly good for a, a first year player playing in a, a Chelsea team, not playing regularly, in and out of the team. He had his injury issues, and I think that faith has been rewarded this season. I think before this little injury kind of spate hit him, he was probably the best right back in the Premier League, um, and that for me only comes with someone putting faith in you, giving you the minutes to play, and consistent opportunities. So. I think, yeah, I mean, if you look at it from, from that perspective, um, then it, it, to me, makes sense to say that, yes, Lampard has developed, I think, a core of young players at Chelsea by giving them chances that no other Chelsea manager probably ever has done um, or probably would have done in, in similar circumstances. You know, you, you make the decision to loan out certain players. You make the decision to play Reese over Aspilicueta, to play uh, Mason over a number of international midfielders, to play Tammy over a World Cup winner. You know, you make these decisions. You actively have to, uh, you know, participate in that decision-making process. So I think he certainly does get the credit there. If we're talking about development, I mean, development happens from when these, as I said, when these guys are kids until they until they stop playing the game. So I'm certain that the, the coaching staff have had an impact on the players as well. Um, certainly think that Reese has improved his, his one-on-one defending this season. He's not relying as much on just the fact that he is a tank. He's better positioned. You know, he's, he's I think, a lot more in tune defensively, a lot more mentally prepared. Um we're seeing make, I think, better decisions as well. So that to me comes from coaching. But the biggest thing, and I think something that I've always harped on about is opportunities to play in minutes. Without minutes, you don't develop. So I think from that perspective, Lampard definitely gets the the uh, the juice, certainly with the, the young core that we've we've started to develop over the past two seasons. Yep. I mean, look at the, the way that we <laughs> adapt. Oh, I was just saying, look at the way we also grew within set pieces year over year, right? Like we, we talk yeah. about areas of the pitch where we have seen performance improve. You know, and part of that is personnel. Right. You know, we, we've added players who are you know, better aerially in, in the game. But Zuma also improved, you know, year over year in terms of timing his jumps and where he needed to be locationally on those set pieces, scored plenty of goals this season. And, and so, like, we have seen improvement from some players, uh, but, you know, we also you know have other kind of question marks still floating out there. Name names, Dan. Name <laughs> names. No, I only jest. But, like, I think... Timo and Kai Alberts, two big money signings this summer. I think they're the ones that we're probably wishing were playing like they were still in the Bundesliga. 
if you just put it simply. Uh, look, Timo Werner has done everything from not playing out or playing out of position to just going on the most am- almost amazing goal drought run of his career, Nick, to the point where he's literally standing on the goal line and not scoring. It, it's it's comical at times, as much as it hurts. And Oberts has gone through a serious case of COVID nineteen that we have no idea how much that impacted him. It sounds like it's probably still lingering the impact with him. So underperformance, tired legs from a player's perspective, it seems like defense were good. It's midfield and forward is where we kind of have a lot of question marks of consistency. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is always going to be the risk reward scenario, right? Um, specifically looking at the Germans, um, they should be better than they are. Uh, there are clear indicators as to why they're not performing in my mind. And, and those can be, you know, things like COVID. You can't, you can't really get on Kai Havertz for getting COVID. You know, he, it's not like he's been partying, you know, at, uh, in Mykonos or whatever. Like he had a really bad case of COVID. And the UK right now, our, our friend Ollie Glanville just sent us a chart where this, the, the spike in cases in the UK is, is damn near a vertical line from the previous week. So it's just, it's very bad. It's very bad in the U S as well. And so, you know, he had a very severe case. Other players like Callum Hudson and Chelsea haven't had a severe case. They got really lucky. They didn't experience the symptoms uh, in the same way. You know, it, it is a massive bummer that these guys aren't performing at, at the same point though. I do look at the manager and say like, look, the best managers in the world to me are the ones who are able to take attention from players to themselves and absorb it and then, you know, and then figure out a way to channel that energy in training or whatever. If you know, and you're Frank Lampard, and this is just me being, you know, kind of playing a, a scenario out. If you know that Timo's not firing, that his confidence is shot and that Kai Havertz is not physically ready for 90 minutes in the Premier League. Then you got to play other players, man. You do. And, and you have to take them out because I believe a player's instinct will always be to play. It, injury, you know, mentality, yeah. sickness, whatever. A player will always want to play. So if you go to them and say, hey, Kai, are you good? Kai, I imagine, I'm not, I, I do not know this. So disclaimer. Kai will always go, hell yeah, I'm good. Let's go. You know, like I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Even if he's not, you have to look out for these guys in a way that that makes sense for them and their development. I think taking them out of the firing line is easier when you have two strikers who are scoring and you have, you know, an abundance of midfield options, right? It's not like they're the only two players in those positions. Uh, You know, now I hope that they are working their asses off to get back to where they were because that's what Chelsea paid those dollars for. And, I, and I, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're doing everything in training that they can. But, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of, at least to me, Dan, a combination of really high expectations of a string of incredibly bad luck and a transition to a league that that isn't slow in the way that it's played. I mean, it is a quick, you know, one-two-touch league, and – you don't have time to dilly-dally on the ball. Like, even Kovacic, who's been here for two years, got caught out five, six times today taking his time on the ball. you got to move it. 
Well, I mean, we, we saw that with, you know, Silva did not, did not have a great game either. You know, Aspi was struggling in this match uh, in particular is, as well. And again, we talked about like the tactical element of that, you know, maybe putting him in a position where he was not going to be successful. But, you know, Ziesh, uh kind of freelancing in a couple moments, you know, really kind of putting others in, in difficult positions too. So just the, the partnerships on the pitch aren't there either between these players. And there's just a, a lot of real real headaches to solve for. And I think that that is going to be the the biggest challenge now coming out of this game is for the players, for, for the manager, for Chelsea to say, in, in, you know, because each of them make a decision here, right? That, you know, uh, the players need to decide how they're going to respond. Frank is going to need to respond with how he thinks he can navigate this side and his best players, his best 11 through the remainder of a, a, a tough run of fixtures in January a resurgent Burnley, a lesser team that does not look like they're ready to stop, a, a Fulham team that will feel like that they can get something based upon the way Chelsea have played. And we've been a, a rebound team for, for a bunch of clubs this season. Um, and Chelsea in terms of what they want to do moving forward. And it's it's not going to be uh, a, a fun start to 2021 for Chelsea, but uh, we wouldn't have it any other way, Brandon. Well, I mean, <laughs> Maybe if we I got would. to Maybe. choose, no, look. <laughs> I think it's funny, guys, that like we just spent all this time rambling on about things, ifs and what's, whatever. Tweets, that all just comes down to picking the right freaking formation, obviously, which is what Jason said in our Discord. <laughs> Why the hell are we still playing a 4-3-3 and we should be playing a 4-2-3-1? So thanks for all of the speculation, gentlemen, for the last hour. Joe and I are going to go ahead and solve it real quick, right? Just a simple formation change. When in a rut, just switch up the formation. <sighs> <laughs> deep, deep sigh from Switzerland there. Um, this, this is like, you know, like the hill that you're willing to die on. This is mine. That formations don't really matter that much. Um, I think people get people get obsessed about this because I think that like the FIFAization of how people understand football, like the formation really matters, the chemistry, all this sort of stuff. A 43-1 does it. it, it okay. I'm, I'm getting a little bit angry here, so I'll, I'll dial it back just, just a tiny, tiny bit. No, full tweet. Let's go. <laughs> full send. No. It, <laughs> the positions of players only matter when you have the ball and then when you don't have the ball. How they are arranged for the purpose of setting a team graphic or infographic before a match literally has no purpose. When Chelsea, at times this season, when Chelsea were playing well, this 4-3-3 that everyone was raving about, if you actually looked at the average positions of the team, it, it was a 3-4-3 or a 3-3-4 in some cases. When we attack, we attack with, you know, it's almost like a 3-3 three, three at the back. Then we have one in midfield and six attackers, etc. The formation doesn't dictate how well we're playing, what we're doing. What, what a 4-2-3-1 offers, what people feel it offers, is two players in front of the back four, which therefore means more security. If one of those players is an offensive-minded player, and naturally gravitates further forward up the pitch, you effectively have a 4-3-3 anyway. Your number 10 becomes your attacking left centre mid. The guy who's in the pivot effectively becomes your right centre mid. And then your holding player stays where the holding player would have been anyway. So this nature that the 4-2-3-1 will magically solve things for us. For me, it's it's a deep, partly with the personnel. I think you have to get the right groupings there. Um, and then it's the instructions of the players. A 4-3-3 super attack-minded if you drop both wingers and you play a 4-5-1, it's super defensive. You can play really, really deep in defensive and counter-attack in there. The 3-5-2 or the 3-4-3 that everyone thought super attacking. There were times on the Conte where we had a back five that is about as defensive as you can get. But but nobody's like, oh, you know, we're playing a five, to like four, 
one or whatever it was, literally the most negative formation on the planet. It was the sexy 343 because, you know, three at the back was sexy and it was Conte. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the notion that, that a 4-2-3-1 is going to distinctly change things, it depends. It firstly depends on the personnel there and then it depends on the instructions. If you play Billy Gilmore and Mason Mount in a pivot, the pivot itself doesn't have any inherentness, doesn't have any inherent tactical worth or any inherent defensive qualities. It's literally the two players that you put there. If you put Kante and Kovacic, maybe it's going to be a bit more defensive. And then your number 10, if your number 10 is Mason Mount, he is going to drop deeper. He is going to play a bit more defensive. Therefore, you're basically playing a 4-3-3. If your number 10 is Kai Havertz, it's going to be more attack-minded. It really it matters on the personnel rather than the uh, the actual shape of the team. So while I will say that I think if you play a 4-2-3-1, it literally gives Havertz a position on the pitch where he just stands in the number 10 position. Um, you'll see you know, players doing that in, in a 4-3-3 or any particular formation that has wide players. You know, the number eights will drop into positions that a number 10 takes. Pulisic will drop into a number 10 role. ZH will drop in there. So I think people get a little bit obsessed about formations and should concern themselves more with the personnel and then try to look at the instructions that those players are receiving because it it, it really matters in the defensive phase and then how we attack as a group. Yeah, let me let me pick up on the instructions because I, I do think... Yeah, there there is a bit of a structural difference between how you defend with a four two three one potentially than than a four three three and where the midfielders are positioned. Whatever we can get into that kind of thing, but to me, one of the core things that Lampard has to figure out is can this team press or can it not? Yeah, that's it. That's the fundamental question. And if it cannot, that is fine. By the way. Like, this is not me going, oh, there's only one way to play football. Of course (laughs) there's not. Like, that's an absurd thing to do. But if it can't press, if you know for a fact that this team just doesn't have it in them to press for any period of time, and I'm not talking about, like, the, hey, let's switch on for three minutes and really give it a go. Like, what we did today was half-assed all over the pitch. It, It just was. And, like, there's no other way to look at it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm usually not that concrete about opinions. But if you look at, like, the half-ass pressing that Jorginho did against Arsenal as well. Like, look, man, no one's scared of you at that point. Like, you chasing down the goalkeeper of your Jorginho, it doesn't really do it. Dan, I think my point here is that the instruction really does matter. Mm-hmm. And the way that you approach games really does matter. Chelsea should not have aimed to outpossess Manchester City today. They just shouldn't have. And frankly, no team should, not even Liverpool. Manchester City are best in class at what they do. So Chelsea should have potentially sat back, absorbed pressure, gone on the break, yep. exposed City's back line with fucking John Stones in it. Like, that's what you should be looking at. Well, there's there's two schools of thought, right? There's the thought either you go in and you try to react to what you're being given or you try to go in and assert your style of football. And Chelsea did neither today. Uh, Chelsea tried to play their way and then tried to respond and then tried to play their way again. And, and it really didn't do anything. Like it, we also have plenty of players on our side that are injury prone, right? <laughs> we, we have Christian Pulisic. We have uh, Ben Chilwell coming back from an injury. We have Reese James, who's probably gonna have to be managed this season with his, his knee injury. And so do you want them running, you know, and pressing for, you know, 75, 90 minutes a match, or do we do something that's more pragmatic that preserves our players, that allows us to go out and, you know, look, we, you know, we, we talked about this idea of maybe we're going to start winning matches like 5-3. I'm okay for the rest of the season if we win one nothing matches the remainder of the year. I am 100%. totally okay with it. 
you're, but, you're finally uh, you're finally on my board. That's I am that's, on I am on the Nick Verlaney one nil train. I am on go. board with it. I am sexy let's, let's football. Punch some tickets and go. I'm just worried it's not plausible the way things are going. Right? How about this? I'd love to win by one goal and not have to worry about blowing out teams. I'm just I'm just concerned if the team is set up to be able to do that. It seems like the team loses focus too much. Well, I mean, but that's that's part of Lampard's challenge, right? And the, and the reason why he's the guy is like you have to understand your players' strengths and weaknesses to a to a fault, right? If you know that Mason Mount is the only guy in your team that can consistently press, you don't run a press. It, it would be it's suicide. Like one, it's going to burn him out, and two, he's going to be so disconnected from everybody else that you're gonna, like. If you lose the ball, a la what N'Golo Conte did today on the set piece, you're screwed, right? Like you, you just you're kind of caught out in a, a myriad of different ways. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I don't think we have the horses to press. I don't think we have Fair. the horses to play play like Man City. So this is me putting my stake in the ground. I would rather see us go in with a tighter defense, a tighter connection to midfield, and then spring a handful of counterattacks in the match that allow uh, Timo Werner potentially, or Callum hudson or Christian Pulisic, or any of our speed guys to get in behind an opposition defense because they have shown this year when they do get that space and time, they're lethal. But we we keep running into this possession brick wall every single time that we play. And if you outpossess City and get whooped as bad as we do, it shows you the possession means absolutely nothing in football. Like, that's it. Oh, we learned that under Mitsu. Sorry. So uh, if anyone's surprised by that, you are new to Chelsea and that's okay. Welcome to the family. We we still love you. We got a lot of problems in this family. It's fun. It's a good time. <laughs> Look, yeah. Anyways, tweets. I mean, I think we could probably go on forever, but you know, overall, I think there's a bit of an issue of compounding problems a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, obviously if players were playing at their absolute peak, it'd probably cover up on some things, but I mean, Overall, there's just a huge, I mean, a lot of people just want to point the finger at the manager. So I guess, you know, real quickly and shortly to kind of wrap this one up, do you feel like uh, Frank is the bigger problem or the players are the bigger problem right now? It's tough. I mean, I I genuinely think it's, it's quite a significant amount on both. Um, It, I mean, the thing, the thing is with football, it, it starts at the top. I think what Nick was saying was, was pretty pertinent in that, if your team cannot play the style of football that you want to play and you continue to persist with it, I'm not sure how much really you can blame, you know, certain players for not being able to, to play like their Liverpool or City counterparts when they're incapable of doing so. And I think probably my my one concern, the biggest concern that I have probably overall, is that the, the group of coaches that we have at the club, Lampard included in this, they are so used to playing one style of football, this Chelsea Academy style of football, that is often predicated on Chelsea's academy having the best footballers in the age groups. And they can play that style of football because they you know, they have the best centre-backs, they've got the best midfielders. And I'm not sure now that they're presented with this problem of how do we win games where we can't play 150 miles an hour and press. You know, we've had some games where we've looked great doing it, but it's, it's, it's not something that's consistent. We saw Klopp make this change third season, whatever it was, you know, where we can't play this 100 billion miles an hour style of football in the Premier League. I worry looking at Lampard, looking at the coaching staff, their background, the lack of experience, you could say, the lack of diversity they've had in their sort of coaching uh, upbringing, you could say, whether they have the the tools in the in the sort of the tool chest to really look at this and say, okay, 
we need to do something different. We've seen it before. Lampard, I think at times when he's gone to like a three at the back where we've looked a little bit more compact, you know, we've, we've been able to play a little bit more um, reserved, you could say. But I think he's so wed to this style of football that, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I kind of expected us to go three at the back against City today just to shore things up, to have that sort of solidity in the team. Um, but I'm, I'm concerned that he's so wed to this you know, heavy metal, rock and roll style of football, energise a bunny ball or whatever you want to call it, you know, in, in the Premier League, that, that that they can't now kind of undo it and sort of try and re-kind re of gather themselves or think of a way of, of getting the best out of the players. So I do lean a little bit on Lampard and the coaching staff. Um, you know, the players for me, again, you know, I think they are trying. I don't think it's one of those things where you can say they've down tools completely. Um, but ultimately, I just I kind of agree with what Nick was saying. I don't think that we have the, the horses, as he was saying, to really do this style of football. And you can't blame them for not being, you know, marathon runners, which yeah, is like, unfortunately what not a lot of them aren't. I think that's the interesting part here, right? Is like you've seen Lampard outclass Jose Mourinho twice last year, right? Yeah. You've seen him at his best do some incredible tactical things with this team, especially when he had very limited you know, a limited player pool to select from now that he has a lot of players to select from and, and admittedly way too big of a squad. Like Matt law got into that a couple uh, days ago on the pod. Frank talked about it too. Yeah. Someone it just, asked him about, yeah. It just seems like the swings are too big, right? It, like you either are, are yeah. peak or you're just down where you were today. And like, I think some of the best managers figure out a way to limit, you know, maybe make yeah, those little... a smaller delta between what's yeah. a good performance and what's a bad performance. I think that that's yeah. that has to be a, the the worrying thing is that when we're good, I think we're actually very good. But when we're bad, we are really bad. You know, if you look at teams that win titles, when they're bad, they might still scrape a one 0 win. If yeah. we're bad, we might lose four 0 There's well, a huge huge difference there. And he he mentioned that in his post game presser too, Dan. Right? Like the the yeah. he mentioned the Middlesbrough defeat that they had, where he's like. I've been on teams where where we were struggling, and you know, he mentioned the Middlesbrough result that you know happened uh, early in his career, and like he's like, but at the end of the day, we still raised trophies at the end of that year because we got our our collective act together. Are you as worried as I am about the mentality of like can this team, can these players specifically pick themselves up? Yeah, huge. I think when when I was trying to answer uh, Brandon's question, it's it's the mentality thing again. I don't know if it's something that I can blame the players, but I think it's it's inherently something that, that players have or they don't have. I'm not sure if you can coach it. You know, and, and you can look at great players from other sports. I mean, you've got Michael Jordan making up things that other people have said about him just to get himself mentally motivated to go and win. I mean, he does crazy stuff. And I look at the mental makeup of our team. And again, beyond, I'm talking a real small handful of players, but even this handful of players are very young in their careers. They're quite still quite inexperienced, even in the Premier League. You know, Reese James potentially... Uh, Pudisic to me has got a good mentality, but again, you know, very young in the system. And I also doubt a little bit how much of an influence a winger can have on the overall mentality of a team. You know, I'm looking more at the spine of the team. Does that spine have the mental fortitude, the character, the personality to to drive these players forward? Like today, after this game today, like I, I've been in in sort of semi-pro sports teams where after a loss like this, there are people actually fighting in dressing rooms and locker rooms. Like it happens. Today, I, I bet that they were just all like, oh, you know, cool, see you at training. Oh, great, fantastic. Like, there would, for me, I don't think there would have been any reaction in that uh, in that dressing room today. And I think your point is right in that the character and the the personality of the group, I think it, it lacks overall. And I don't I don't think you can blame the players for that, but you can you can certainly put or point some fingers at the people who are assembling the squads 
because it's all right having the most gifted and wonderful, technically fantastic players in the world. If they don't have the mentality, they'll never win trophies. And I think maybe we've we've kind of steered too far away from things that made Chelsea great into being like a more technically or more aesthetically pleasing team. And now we're kind of getting to a situation where we're finding that the aesthetics don't quite beat the the sort of formula that we've we've maybe had in the past. So it's it's an interesting one. But yeah, I would agree certainly that if you were to default the players, I think that collectively as a group that they don't have that killer instinct, that edge that we spoke about earlier that previous Chelsea teams have had. And even teams currently in the Premier League, Liverpool have it, City have it. Um, even Tottenham look like they're developing it, which is irritating. Um, yeah. Certain teams have it. And I think when you look at the team, sadly, it's something that we, we certainly don't have anymore. All right. Well, that was, this is loaded. So Dan, I guess any other final thoughts you have just in general, <laughs> since, I mean, the amount of questions I think we're going to get that we've now stirred up is probably going to be overwhelming, but Hey, that's what we're here for. Thought provoking. Well, I mean, I think the most important thing heading out of this is just a reminder that, uh, you know, it's not a good thing to tether your overall emotional happiness and well-being to the results of a football club, because <laughs> that, that that will lead you down a well of insanity that you uh, you don't want to reach the bottom of. Uh, it will, in fact, drive you mad. Um, I, I think the thing is to look at you know, holistically where the problems are and try to figure out the diagnosis. And, and that that's the thing that will determine Chelsea's future, Frank Lampard's future, and the future of the players that we have on this side is if they can show resiliency and respond to this situation appropriately. And, you know, what will end up happening is based upon the results. Again, it's a results business. If Frank Lampard loses the last, the rest of the matches this month, you could imagine a very drastic you know, repercussion for that. If he goes on and wins... You could also see a response and a resurgence and Chelsea vying for something magical. And, uh, you know, just the way it is, you know, Chelsea is a club that operates best in chaos. So uh, maybe the best is yet to come from this uh, from this current managerial reign. Yeah, and, mm. and, and I think a, a final note for me would be like th- this season still has many chapters left to write. Yeah. Like that we aren't quite halfway yet. Clearly, it hasn't gone the way that we anticipated at the beginning of the season. But, you know, if if you're throwing in the towel right now, like, look at yourself, too, as a fan, right? Like, I think, you know, we're, we're talking about Lampard. We're talking about the players. Like, we need to look at ourselves, too, and and wonder kind of where we're at with our, with our support of the club. Like, I, I think it's fine to be critical. I think it's fine to look at things with a nuanced point of view and maybe not have all the answers. And we certainly don't. We just asked a bunch more questions, honestly. But it, it you know, chin up. We're we're gonna be okay. Well, it's easy to be a fan when we're winning, right? Oh I yeah. Mean, and, but and, yeah. and this is why you want to be an involved fan. To don't just throw shit against the wall. Like we went into a few different scenarios, ideas, and things. That's what we want. We want to explore. Also, the more as much as you can educate yourself on the club and how things work. You know, we tried to bring it in a little bit to this one. You know, not too much, but. You know, trying to say, hey, this is what Frank and staff focus on. This is where the players are kind of responsible for. Um, those are the kind of conversations you want to have as well. But yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot into it. So, um, Tweeds, thank you so much, sir. Yeah, guys, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Not the uh, not the happiest of topics to talk about, but uh, yeah, I mean, just a final thought. Really, I think everyone is absolutely desperate for Lampard to work, and I think my my hope is is that whatever issues they need they figure out and, and things start moving in the right direction because yeah I mean there would be nothing more special to me I think to see Lampard progress and become the manager that we, that we want him to become 
Um, but equally, as you say, it's it's nice to have sort of a measured discussion, particularly I can imagine some of the stuff that's going on social media at the moment. It's nice to have an actual chat about things in a bit more detail. But uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, guys. And uh, I'll try not to be as uh, as long between appearances next time. <laughs> Uh, no worries at all, sir. Obviously, you've got pretty much an open invitation uh, with us anytime. Nick and Dan, gentlemen, thank you so much as always. And the listener, uh, look, we got a lot of time to work through this. All right. So this isn't one and done. All right. We'll 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 continue digging some stuff. Obviously, we, we'll keep you posted on our schedule if we can get some things scheduled and lined up. Obviously, if Morkum doesn't happen, uh, you know we'll have something for you at the weekend uh, at a minimum. So anyways, keep a... Uh, Keep following us on social media. Join on the Patreon, the Discord. Uh, if you want long conversations with friends that are respectful and friendly, because uh, we've got those. So anyways, uh, thanks everyone out there. Uh, let's have a good week. A lot of you are going back to work for the first time since the holidays. So best of luck. I hope today's a good day for you and your commute at work. <laughs> you got this. But anyways, that's going to wrap us up. And so until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs> <laughs>